We are in this series, working our way down the list of Beatitudes. If you don't know what Beatitudes are, that's okay. I'm not really sure I understand what the word means. I haven't looked it up yet. I will. Uh, But Beatitudes is a list that happens at the beginning of really one of the most important collection of teachings in the Gospels. It is a a spot in Matthew, chapter 5, 6, and 7, called the Sermon on the Mount. It's this incredible message that Jesus taught that's like his magnum opus. I mean, he gets up and really, he clarifies the nature of God in these three chapters. It, It helps us understand how he sees us, how he sees you, how he sees the world. And then it also gives us an idea of what Jesus is expecting of the people that he's called to follow him. Because over and over and over and over again, the call of Jesus remains the same. Follow me. And Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, well, they help us understand what it actually looks like to follow him. And as he opens this message up, he lists nine different kinds of people that he calls blessed and then he offers a blessing with each of those with each of them and and this list is Jesus laying out for us exactly what kind of people he's most drawn to it's a map for where we can find him where you look for Jesus the kind of people that you would see him around and therefore it's the characteristics that he wants to see from us as his followers. And so this list, the Beatitudes, really, really matters to us as Christians. We sang that incredible song, the second song we sang today, the goodness of the Lord will follow, or uh, uh, Psalm 27, 13, that uh, I believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And we really believe that living the way that these Beatitudes call us to live are a big, big part of that. That God has a lot waiting for you on the other side of this life. Eternity is an incredible gift to look forward to. But it's not the only thing that you have access to as a follower of Jesus. He's got goodness for you right here in this land, in this life. Wholeness, peace, a satisfaction unlike anything you've ever experienced before. Blessing in a way that you didn't have a concept of before you knew him. And the more that we become like this list of characteristics, the closer we get to those blessings. And so the Beatitudes. Last week we opened up with the first one. Uh, It starts in Matthew chapter five, verse three. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about what it means to be poor in spirit. This week we're gonna tackle the second Beatitude, which is verse four. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Today, is 9-11. 9-11, 2022, 21 years ago today was a life-changing day for this country and for many, many people. I was in high school at the time and was in my world history class, as a matter of fact, watching world history unfold. I remember when the teacher suddenly stopped what she was doing and went and turned on the television in our classroom to CNN And we all stared at the smoke coming out of the building, really unsure of what was unfolding in front of us. And I remember a few moments later, staring at the TV as the second plane came onto the screen and crashed into the second tower. I remember just watching in shock as the buildings fell right in front of us, right there on the screen. 
I can remember all the different emotions and feelings that I felt, even as a teenager, understanding the amount of pain and hurt that was happening in real time right in front of me. I remember the days that followed. I was glued to the television, watching footage of people running out, covered in dust, and people running in to help them. It was a really emotional season for us as a country. It was, it was a collective moment for all of us to come together and mourn. And some interesting things happened in the days that followed. In the days that followed, this country, which has been so fractured for so long, so split over so many different things, so many different issues, so many different belief systems, and it was really moving further and further in that direction. But for a moment, as we mourned, we were one. Everybody had one thing in common, the pain that that day brought. And for a moment, it was an unprecedented season of church growth. The church had never seen anything like it in the history of this country. People flocked into the houses of worship on Sundays looking for some sort of comfort in that season, some sort of way to make sense of it all. And I think it's fitting that today on 9-11, we're studying this beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In Jesus' ministry, he was consistently and constantly drawn to the most heartbroken people he could find, to the people who were in serious seasons of mourning. And Jesus was moved by them. I think that oftentimes the enemy wants us to feel most alone when we are in mourning. We feel so isolated and empty and broken. And I think it's no accident that the scripture paints so many different pictures in the gospels of Jesus seeing those people and making sure that they felt seen and noticed and that they knew they were not alone. There's a story in Mark chapter four that I think really highlights the character of Jesus here well. Uh, a man named Jair Jairus came to Jesus because his daughter was sick and he was scared and he was desperate and he just didn't really know where to go or what to do. He was a teacher in the synagogue. He was one of the Jewish leaders, one of the people that was uh, a part of the group that was very outspoken against Jesus, that believed he was a false prophet, a blasphemer, somebody uh, who, who was really just upsetting the status quo that these guys were living in and but when everything went sideways, he didn't know where else to look. And he knew that Jesus was out there healing people. So Jairus goes and finds Jesus. And Jesus is in a crowd of people. He's teaching. He's healing. He's got a lot going on. He's very, very busy. But he stops what he's doing and goes to help. And so Jesus started off with him. This is in verse 24, Mark chapter 4. So many people were going along with Jesus that they were crowding him from every side. At this point, everybody is wondering, what will this man do next? There was a woman who had suffered terribly from severe bleeding for 12 years. And even though she'd been treated by many doctors, she had spent all of her money. But instead of getting better, she got worse all the time. She had heard about Jesus, so she came in the crowd behind him, saying to herself, if I can just touch his clothes, I will get well. 
She touched his cloak and her bleeding stopped at once. And she had the feeling inside herself that she was healed of her trouble. And at once, Jesus knew that power had gone out of him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And his disciples answered, you see how the people are crowding you? How, what is wrong with you, Jesus? Everybody is touching you right now. We're in a massive crowd of people. Why do you ask who touched you? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And the woman realized what had happened to her, so she came trembling with fear and knelt at his feet and told him the whole truth. Isn't it interesting that even here in this story, we can see the way that grief and mourning and pain uh, pushes against our minds to tell us things that are not true. She was trembling with fear. She was scared. She was nervous. When Jesus asked who touched me, she thought for sure that shame was the next thing she would feel because shame is what she had felt for so long and because she was supposed to go through this alone and because how could anybody see her, help her, heal her, care for her? She had been cast aside for so much of her life. She approaches Jesus in shame and with fear because that's the posture she's had to take and that's the posture that her grief had pushed her into for so long. Jesus said to her, my daughter, can you imagine the power in those two words? Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your trouble. While Jesus was saying this, some messengers came from Jairus' house and told him, your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher any longer? But Jesus paid no attention to what they said and told them, don't be afraid, only believe. And then he did not let anyone else go on with him except for Peter and James and his brother John. And they arrived at Jairus' house where Jesus saw the confusion and heard all the loud crying and wailing. And he went in and said to them, why all this confusion? Why are you crying? This child is not dead. She only sleeps. They started making fun of him. So he put them all out and took the child's father and mother and his three disciples and went into the room where the child was lying. And he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kom, which means little girl, I tell you to get up. So, what does a story about a resurrection tell us about how Jesus feels towards those who mourn? I think that this story does a great deal to reveal to us the very heart of Jesus. Jesus doesn't always resurrect the dead or heal the afflicted, not in this life. He has a plan for it. A plan that's been well described and laid out in scripture where healing is coming for all people. But it doesn't happen for all people here in this life, in this world. What I want you to notice and what I think paints the character of Jesus that you need to see today is how quickly he gives his attention to those who need him. Jesus pays attention to our pain. Jairus is able to interrupt Jesus' day entirely. Jesus goes to his house, and while he's on his way there, this woman who's been suffering for years and years just believes that she can touch his cloak, she'll be healed. So she does, and she is. And Jesus feels it happen, but he, he knows that the work is done. The woman's healed. He could have kept going. He had to book it. There was a sick girl to attend to, but he doesn't do that. He stops. Why? Why, when she was already healed, did he stop? It's because 
he knew that not only was her body in pain, but so was her heart. So he takes time to stop, to see her, to affirm her, and even to bless her as she goes. His heart was with her. And then he's back on track going to the little girl. And as they're going, the little girl dies. And Jesus continues to this house, clears away the confusion of the moment, and offers comfort and peace to her parents. And then he calls her back to life. I believe that his compassion is clear in every step of this story, just as his compassion is clear in every part of his ministry. In the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11, if you don't know it, Jesus gets word that his close friend is sick. And it says that he waits a few days before he goes there. Nobody really understands why. And in the time it takes for him, he waits. And then in the time that he's traveling there, his friend dies. And he's dead four days by the time, Lazarus, by the time Jesus gets there. The man's buried in the ground. And everyone is hurting. The, the sisters of Jesus, of Lazarus, respond really in two of the popular ways that we manage grief. One is just in sadness. She just crumples at the feet of Jesus. The other one is in anger. Where were you? Why weren't you here? Why weren't you with me? And this affects Jesus. He tells her, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And he goes to the tomb of Lazarus and he looks around and all the people are mourning and crying and in tears. And what does Jesus do? See, he knows the end result. He knows that the reason he waited was so that he could do a miracle that was going to impact people permanently forever. We're still talking about it thousands of years later. He knew what he was up to. He knew that, that Lazarus wasn't going to stay dead. That Lazarus was coming out of the grave. That Lazarus was going to spend eternity with him. That even, even the temporary resurrection of Lazarus wasn't the end result. But that there was more. He knew all that. He knows that. But what does he do when he gets to the grave and he looks around and everybody is in mourning and in grief? He says, Jesus wept. It's one of, one of the easiest memory verses in all of Scripture. John eleven thirty five. 35. He wept. Why? Why did he weep? Because his compassion is so great for people who are mourning. His heart is with them. He cares for them. He comforts them. He doesn't always comfort with resurrection and healings. But he does always comfort with his presence. And with his promises. And with his peace. And if we're doing it right as the church, he comforts by the love of his people. That's what we're called to do. Look at this story again in Mark 5. It says, Then he did not let anyone else go on with him except Peter and James and his brother John. He has 12 disciples that are with him most of the time. And beyond that, there's another whole bunch of folks, anywhere between 70 to 120 people that are following him around as well. And then there's all, all thousands of others that are really just kind of curious. They're all kind of crowding around Jesus in this moment, wondering what he'll do. And he doesn't just send away the multitudes, he doesn't just send away the, the big crowd of a hundred or so. He sends away even the twelfth and boils it down to these three guys. Why? Because history tells us that these three men would go on to be the first major leaders of the church. 
And Jesus brought them into that room just like he brought them into many other rooms like it to help them understand that this, this is what the church does. The church goes into the room when everyone else is walking out. This is what you're going to do. This is what it looks like. When tragedy strikes, this is where the church goes because this is where Jesus would be. So, all of that is why this is on the list of Beatitudes. Jesus is drawn to those who mourn and he calls his people to be drawn to those who mourn as well. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Some days we're going to be the people that mourn and some days we're going to be the people that comfort. And this is important because the world that we live in is broken. It's filled with pain. It's filled with sickness and pain and loss and death and betrayal and bad things happening to good people. Everybody is going to go through seasons of mourning and everybody is going to know someone who's going through seasons of mourning. There is a doctrine out there that states that everything is going to go right and easy and well for the followers of Jesus or that everything is going to work out for the followers of Jesus okay and good in the end and it's all going to be great. And that's bad doctrine because what Jesus said was that in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart for I have overcome the world. It's not a if you'll have trouble, it's a win. It's a guarantee. And yes, the Bible says all things work together for those who love God. It does. And that's a promise. That's true. But that doesn't mean it works together for good in the way you or I understand it or in a timeline that you and I want. Because in that very same chapter in Romans, just a few verses down, it says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall Tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness, danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. This is in the book of Romans, and Christians in Rome at the time were tortured in various ways under emperors Diocletian and Nero. These are the men of legend who would find creative ways to persecute Christians. They were sent into gladiator arenas and eaten by hungry lions. They were thrown into prisons naked for years. They were hunted, killed. They were crucified in the streets. They were tied to poles, doused in oil, and then lit on fire to be used as torches at night. Can you imagine? All things work together for the good of those who love him. Doesn't mean that life is always going to be easy. Verse 37, knowing all these things, and all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am certain that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation would be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what you go through or where you are or what kind of things you're mourning, what kind of grief you're drowning in, you are just as loved as you were when everything was going right. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It means that things work for good 
all things work together for the good of those who love him because blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. So when you're in a season of mourning, whether you're mourning the loss of someone you loved or mourning the loss of a life you'll never live again, a season that's over forever. Maybe you're mourning the loss of a marriage or a relationship. Maybe you're mourning the loss of one season as you move into the next one. He cares for you. He sees you. And as his people, it's our job to care for you as well. So three things to make us more like Jesus as we seek to live in this beatitude. Number one, comfort those who mourn. Comfort those who mourn. We live in a really self-driven culture, driven to look out for number one, to help ourselves, to take care of ourselves, to prioritize what's good for us and what we want. The pandemic made this a whole lot worse. All that time we spent isolating ourselves. The culture pitting, our, uh, putting, pitting us against one another. Who's willing to wear a mask? Who's not? Who's willing to get vaccinated? Who's not? Me versus them. They don't care about my health. They're trying to force me to align with something I don't agree with. All the fighting and infighting and disagreement and anger and rage between us has driven us further apart than ever before. Not just out in the streets or outside or in the world, but right here in the church. And so it's turned us into ourselves. We look to what we need. And to what serves us best because that's what we've been taught to do. We try to handle everything on our own and we'll just let everyone else handle everything else on their own. It's more important to us that we get to do what we need to do. That that we get our me time or that we're making sure that we're taking care of ourselves rather than that we're making sure the people around us are okay. I'm a big believer in things like boundaries and I'm a big believer in making sure that you, that I am okay, that you are okay, and taking care of your own health. But I also believe that it is our responsibility as followers of Christ to comfort those who mourn, no matter who they are, as a community. Because we were made to live in community. Imagine Jesus looking at Jairus and saying, aren't you a leader in the synagogue? Well, that's... That's the, that's, you guys are mean to me. You guys are always trying to trap me, trying to make me slip up, trying to get me arrested. Nah, nah, man. I'm gonna find somebody a little bit more aligned with what I believe to comfort today. The heart of Jesus is a heart of compassion. Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens and in so doing fulfill the law of Christ. Look at the church in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. Whoever had a need 
And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they ate together a lot, is what I gather from this. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We are called to be a people that go through life together alongside one another. It's why we push small groups so hard. We really believe you need people to go through life with so that when it's time for you to celebrate, you don't have to celebrate alone. There is nothing sadder than a guy in an empty room blowing the little thing, you know? Don't be that guy. And you need people in your life that when you are mourning are gonna show up for you and be there in those spaces. This is how we were made to live, to be a people who comfort those who mourn. Now, maybe you don't know how or what to do or what to say. Maybe you feel awkward whenever somebody around you is going through something, something hard. I'll make it simple for you. Just show up. Only thing that you have to do to be good at comforting those who mourn is just show up for them. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to have the perfect piece of wisdom to say. Don't think they need you to tell them that it's going to be okay. They may not. Just show up. There's a guy in the Bible who goes through all kinds of terrible things. His name is Job, and he loses his children, and his wife leaves him, and he loses his wealth, he loses his health. He's broken. Job chapter 2, verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from their own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite. And they made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and to comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they didn't even recognize him. Sometimes this is the reason we don't go into hospital rooms or spaces where people are broken. This makes us uncomfortable to see them in their state of mourning. They didn't even recognize him and they raised their voices and they wept and they tore their robes and they sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven and they sat with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights and no one spoke a word to him for they saw that his suffering was very great. So there's your playbook. Just show up. When there's a meal train, sign up to bring food. You might need a meal one day. Make sure you're providing one for others. When somebody that you know is going through something, be there. In fact, in the next few chapters of Job, these guys do open their mouths and it's a disaster. Everything that they have to say is horrible. If they would have just stuck to chapter two, it would have been a lot better for everybody. Just be present. Be present. Show up and you'll bring comfort to those who mourn. Second thing is when you mourn, be comforted. When you mourn, be comforted. I don't mean to tell you, be comforted. Just be comforted. Deal with it. That's not what I'm saying. I mean to tell you that when you are mourning, you have to make the decision to let comfort in. Let somebody comfort you. Let God comfort you. Let the people of God comfort you. We have a tendency to withdraw into ourselves when we are hurting. I think it's the influence of our enemy. He wants you to suffer, so he moves you to push away what you need at the very moment that you need it. So when we go through times of suffering, our instinct is to push people away and just withdraw into ourselves. 
I would encourage you not to do that. You need community. You need people to come and be with you. Push into community, not away from it. Show up to church on Sunday. Worship. You need people. Now, there may be a season where you come in at 10.05 and you dip out right at the end of service. That's okay. Let comfort in. And when we go through suffering, we tend to push God away as well. But God brings a kind of comfort that you genuinely need. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The comforting words of Psalm 23 remind us of this aspect of the character of God. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And your rod and your staff bring comfort to me. Let him in. Let him do these things for you. When you're mourning, don't hesitate to cry out to God. How do you let God comfort you in these seasons? Well, I think you have to be in his presence. You have to be willing to turn on some worship music. And maybe you don't have the strength to sing. That's okay. Let it wash over you. Hear it. Open up his word and begin to read his promises. Remember what he's done for you. Who he is. His nature. His character. Sit in his presence in silence when you need to. And don't be afraid to cry out to him. And tell him everything that you're going through. Sometimes when you're in a season of mourning. It can be hard to say out loud everything that you feel, even to the closest people in your life. It feels embarrassing. It feels like they won't understand. They don't get it. They're not going through it. They're not with me in this. And our, our instinct can be just to hold it all in. But let me encourage you that with your Father in heaven, you don't need to hold it all in. He's been through it. He's, he watched his son suffer on a cross. He watched his creation Walk away from him and choose sin over relationship. He understands mourning and grief. And he wants to bring comfort and peace into your heart and into your life. And he is also big enough to handle everything that you are actually feeling in this season. Even when it's not nice things. He can take it. One of my favorite passages when I am going through a season of mourning is Lamentations Chapter 3. Lamentations is really just a whole book of mourning. It exists in the Bible because the Old Testament shows us a lot of opportunities for people to mourn. And in this particular story, the author, Jeremiah, is crying out to God about everything that he is actually feeling. Starting in verse 16, he says this, He has made my teeth grind on gravel. And made me cower in the ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. God, I can't even remember what it feels like to feel whole. To feel happy. To feel joyful. Why did you take all of this from me? Why am I hurting in this way? So I say my endurance has perished. And so is my hope from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall 
That means bitterness. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this, this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. And this is what your prayers can look like. God, I don't think you see me. I don't know if you hear me. I feel empty and alone. Why did this thing happen to me? Why am I dealing with this? Why am I going through this? Why am I here? But this I call to mind. And so therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. So great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. So I will hope in him. Cry out to him, worship him, cling to his word. Remember his goodness. Let him comfort you. And surround yourself with his people. And let them comfort you as well. One more thing. Live with the compassion of Jesus. You want to... You want to look like Jesus to the world? Grow a heart for the morning that Jesus has. Stop everything that you're doing to see them when they are near you. When you walk by, don't just keep on going. Pay attention to the people around you. There's another great story in Scripture where Jesus is moving through a huge crowd. And he had been doing ministry in this one city for days, longer than he intended to. He had to get out of there. He had somewhere to go, places to be. It's towards the end of his ministry, so he's just got thousands of people just trying to get a glimpse of him and see him, hear from him. And he's walking through this city towards the gate. The gate's right there. He's almost out. Once he gets out, the crowds will disperse, and he'll have some peace and quiet for once. That's what he's looking for. You ever been in that season where you're just like, man, I just need a minute. I need a minute. That's where Jesus is. And as he's walking through the city, there's a man named Bartimaeus over here, leaned up against a building. Bartimaeus has been blind. And he, he's been ignored all of his life. Felt, never felt like anybody really cared about him or saw him. Couldn't do what he wanted to do. His dreams didn't matter. His name didn't matter to most. But Bartimaeus saw Jesus coming and he saw hope. First time in his life. Well, he didn't see Jesus coming. That was bad heard Jesus coming. You get it. J.M. Redwine at gatherashfield.org. He heard him coming and he felt hope for the first time in a long time. So he stood up and he, he called to Jesus, tried to get to him. And there's all these people moving with him. And then there's the entourage of disciples and the disciples go and they push him away. And they say, Jesus don't have time for this right now. He's got places to be. You should have come earlier. You should have made an appointment. You should have, you should have come by during office hours to see him. You should, have, you should have been there another time, Bartimaeus. You're missing out. Sorry. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. Let him come. And he stopped. Put his hands on him. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? And this is the compassion of Jesus. He doesn't just, I mean, Jesus could have like shot a laser bolt over there and healed the guy if that was all it was about. But it wasn't just about him restoring his sight. 
It was about him letting him know that no matter how left behind and forgotten he's felt by the entire world for all of his life, no matter how much his sadness and his grief had affected his ability to feel loved by others, it did not matter. In that moment, he was the most important thing to the creator of the universe. He was seen. He was cared for. Somebody got his name afterwards to write it down in the gospels. That's the compassion of Jesus. And so wherever you are in life, busy season, slow season, got a lot on your plate, a little on your plate, do not ever miss the opportunity to show somebody this kind of compassion, to comfort those who mourn, to come alongside people in need, to let them know that they have value, that they are cared for and that they are not alone. Best thing that you can do. If you're in here today and you've had to go through seasons of life like that one alone, you don't have to be alone for one more day. You don't have to go through these moments by yourself. You do not have to mourn alone. You do not have to live through the hard days in life alone. There is so much more for you. And you can see the goodness of God now here in the land of the living. And so if you would like to enter into a relationship with Jesus and become a part of his family and be seen by him, because he's already seen you, but maybe this is your moment for him to say, what do you want from me? What can I do for you? All you have to do is start it off with a conversation, a commitment every head bowed and every eye closed. Just pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, it has been hard to do it on my own. Forgive me for thinking that I could. Forgive me for every sin, every mistake I've made. All I know is that right now I need you and I want you and I want relationship with you and your people. And so all that I am, from this moment on, I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen.